the background is we were having discussions after all of the episodes and realized that we were making some really good points. Uh, <laughs> Connecting the, some dots that were just you and I were hearing. <laughs> yeah, so like, hey, let's uh, record some of these. So uh, at least a semi-regular feature, if not a regular feature, will be some of these analyses, depending on how good I guess they turn out to be. Welcome to a bonus analysis and discussion episode with the hosts of the Path Distilled podcast. In these episodes, we talk about the guests that we just had on, how it connects to the guests we've had in the past, and give our take on what you've heard. That was a pleasure. Yeah, it was fascinating to hear. I mean, there's so many things, honestly, that jumped out to me. The first thing I think that jumped out to me was um, the point he made about, you know, failing, right? And looking at that as a good thing. We know that that's obviously very supported in the science. And actually recently I had somebody ask me that question, like basically like what's the, is, I forget how the question was phrased, but it was something like, you know, is it, is it better, more challenging to fail and have to persist through that to succeed or succeed, 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 and then have to deal with, you know, failure. And I think mm -hmm. we've had, we've had guests on that have had both of those kind of situations, right? And um, it brings up kind of like that dark side to success, right? That I think that if you are exposed to failure early on, which most people don't like doing, <laughs> mm. um, then it almost like desensitizes it and you can move on rather than having this, this thing looming around that, you know, it's a possibility. Now, the other side of that, I have had clients where they fail once and then they, they know it can happen. So then they're also worried about it happening again. Right. So it was just interesting to hear that for him, he was one of those that was like, kind of like, I got that out of the way. So now I can move forward. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. I don't, I have to be honest, I don't think I've ever thought about the order. I've thought about failure a lot. I've experienced failure a lot, obviously, but um, the order is impressive or intriguing because I'm going to use a sports analogy or example for what you just said. You go to a high school, you don't really have a lot of competition. People, you're way heads above everybody else. You might not experience it that until down the road, that um, either failure or someone getting the better of you. Whereas if you're in this environment that, um, you know, some of our guests have been in where you have a lot of competitive players, you hone your skills while you're failing, at least initially, you're not beating that person, you're losing that game, you're losing that round or whatever the case may be. Uh, yeah, so that's fascinating. It's the order and then the perspective that you take on it and the place that it holds in your mind, right? Like he was able to take a perspective on it that allowed him to move past it versus, you know, other options that there are out there. And he's fortunate, if that's the right word, that it was internal, that that voice or message came through. Uh, many times people need an external support system mm -hmm. to say, no, dust yourself off, jump back in there. And it sounds like at least from the conversation we had that his experience, it was built in might be the wrong word, but he in, had it internally that he could tell himself that was good that this happened. But it, I guess part of the reason he did allude to his friends um, 
giving him a hard time when he did something yeah. wrong. So that might have been just an extent, a continuation of that. And, or where he was able to form that, that perspective, right, that he has on it. And now that using other popular media, media sources, I've heard NBA players talk about um, some of the greatest of all time, their older brothers, Michael Jordan, uh, players like that were always in competition with their siblings. Yeah. So I, th I think that um, is an example of that. I mean, I think it, there's a number of things that his story brought up about it. I think the one thing it brings up is that, you know, fear, if you will, is kind of what we're talking about is fear of failure is a lot about the consequences of the failure, you know, whereas for him, I think those, it sounds like those experiences with his friends early on made it seem like the consequences weren't that scary. You know, sure. like I'm gonna, I was gonna get made fun of for a day. All right, anyway, and then it'll be over, and I can move past it. And so I think that, again, I'm just, just the story that we're given, but that to me sounded like it was the way that it helped him take that perspective that he did on it, versus viewing that the consequences sure. to failure were so great. Exactly, and someone that have has never experienced that ribbing. I'm not advocating necessarily for the ribbing, but uh, <laughs> someone that's never experienced that, it's always been pats on the back and out of boys or out of girls, then they might be Absolutely. devastated by the first time something goes awry. Again, and we've talked about this before, it ties back into the conversations about the fallout of the self-esteem movement and you know society, how societally we're trying to raise kids and, and approach approach things that you know if we never allow people to two things, to experience it, and to feel it so that they can de develop an effective perspective and response to it, then we're just, we're limiting them because at some point they're going to have to deal with it. You can't avoid it forever. Like that's just not how it works. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that the more you, it just sounds like he had such a formative experience that really it helped him. I also though think that this connects to, you know, why I asked him the question about, kind of his goal style was what I was trying to get at, right? It, it relates to, to that too, too, right? Like, you know, the way that he approaches his mindset and the way he's approaching what he's doing and why he's doing it, I think ties in to, to why he's able to take that perspective too. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad that you asked the question to clarify it during the episode because I was also thinking about that. He seems simultaneously goal-driven, but also very laid back. Yeah. And, you know, this is one thing that we've really missed the mark on. You know, some of my colleagues and I are constantly talking about how we hate the idea of SMART goals. And I remember teaching this to undergrad and grad students. They're like, you know, when we get into the class period, we were talking about goals and I would lead with, I hate goals. And they're like, wait, what, what, what do you mean? I'm like, okay, let me clarify what I'm talking about, right? Like there's no one, this is the best way to set goals. And I think that's what we've been you know, told a lot and what people still try to teach a lot. Um, and that's actually not the case. Like the, the science and the theory behind goals and motivation and personality does not support that. So that's why I was, I was just so curious to hear about, to have him talk a little bit more about that based on what I was hearing him saying. I, I want to, I think we might've mentioned this, but I want to pitch a special episode, bonus episode on that, whether it be terminology or clarifying uh, but yeah, I think he illustrated that. He pointed out the, that he had ultimate overall goals, but he was very flexible in the path that led there. And I think that's at least part of what you're getting at. 
I would say intentional and flexible, right? So the way I was, it was kind of like mapping out in my head is like, you talked about like defining success, right? So he knows where he's trying to go. He knows why he's doing what he's doing. He's intentional about, you know, he's talking about like his dad, right? And learning from him as a businessman. Like, so he's intentional about how he's trying to go about that, but he's not rigid in that. Exactly. Yeah, the way I thought about it is, to use an Olympic example, um, an overall goal could be to win a gold medal, but that's that's a great goal, but that's practically useless. I think the what people, at least the, in my mind, I may be way off base, but it needs to be distinguished from it. You know, whether we use the term benchmarks or goals, um, you're going to have to do things very specifically that need to be changed along the way in order to get there. So, um, and it may be an extreme use of the term, the argument I'm making, but um, you know, if, if your goal is to do X and you don't modify it and keep beating your head against the wall, that's one version of it. But the other is the flip side of that is if you never say I need to be, and maybe we've had guests that pointed to a different approach, but if you never say I need to be under this time, then whether that's a goal or a benchmark, however you want to phrase it, I don't, you're not dismissing those types of goals, are you? No, not, okay. not as a blanket statement. I'm not dismissing that. Okay. I'm just saying that that's not always the best way or the, the way that it should be done. Now, part, and so part of what I'm saying is part of it is taking into consideration individual differences within people. And part of it is taking into consideration the performance and the context, right? So if, yeah, if I'm working with an, if I'm talking about, you know, an athlete, an exerciser, you know, someone trying to like do exercise to lose weight or gain muscle mass or whatever their goals are with that. Like there are certain things that, yes, I think setting very intentional and more smart goals, if you will, are going to lend themselves to being more appropriate. Still having to consider people though, because people are different, right? Um, because goals are a way that we try and leverage motivation, right? That's why you have to consider the people effect. And but then you know, I think in in industries like the music industry, it relates to the idea of how much of this is within your control. You know, there are certain things that were within your control, and yes, you can set goals for that, and you still might have to adapt those along the way. There are a lot of things that aren't going to be within your control in the industry or like in the present situation with the pandemic that, yeah, if you set those goals and you're too rigid in them or get, get challenged when your goals, you know, become not possible or become, you know, it's something that you have to adapt and you can't shift with that, then yeah, you are going to struggle. I read a research article after another conversation and I know we need to wrap up soon, but uh, another conversation called goals gone goals gone wild i just uh, don't downloaded that article yeah yeah <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's in my uh, articles to read folder on my computer yeah, yes my, I'm a nerd. <laughs> i only i oh as am i but i only skimmed it but basically the the message from skimming it that i got was these cases where like in corporate world at least people that mm -hmm. are told you have to reach these benchmarks and at least the uh, unscrupulous practices that's a definite thing to point at so I think yeah we could probably do an hour long either panel or just us talking I about think we should because I think I read an article recently about goal styles which gets talked about next to never 
Um, you know, so um, I found that fascinating. Tying in that personality piece, like there are different, just like there are attentional styles, there are goal styles, which makes a lot of intuitive sense to me, but is not something that gets talked about, right? Um, especially as we've shifted away in a lot of ways, I think, in psychology, we've shifted away from the kind of personality and talking about personality, right? Um, for good reason in some some ways. But I, I think though, I promise I'm getting to the point I said I led with that I was going to make here, but I think it's interesting for us to explore further and devote, you know, an episode two, because this does, I think, play a role in in our backgrounds and the whole idea of deliberate practice and what sense we can make of that in terms of what that really is and and what that looks like, you know, um, and maybe why, you know, for some people it's been an elusive kind of concept and because maybe the definition is different for different people. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. But to me, it's just, it, I found it interesting from that lens too when we were talking with Tyler that, you know, this is such a fascinating thing for us to think about in terms of what does it even mean to deliberately practice or deliberately try to pr- improve something or pursue something. That last point, I was about to comment bef- before you even got to that point that I love mm-hmm. that his story is a little nugget of the deliberate, deliberate practice approach. Uh, he had a lot of insight for having gone through it and uh, did a lot of the, uh, we didn't dive as much as we could have, I guess, into some of the specifics, but just the trajectory of what he was doing was very much deliberate practice and the learning from his, how his songwriting improved because he recognized that this could be tweaked. And uh, I think I, it, I don't know. I, when I was listening to him, I think there was ways, yes, that it was. And I thought there, there were some points where I was like, I don't know if this actually aligns with deliberate practice, right? Um, that's why I thought it was so fascinating. If we exclude the terminology deliberate practice it was a nice nugget of how he worked to improve so the nurture side at the least yeah and i think you know your point earlier about how in some ways he seemed to be like you know strategically approaching something you know in other ways he was kind of going I don't know, going with the flow is not what I'm, what I'm necessarily meaning, but in some ways kind of, right? It was like, you could tell he had this idea in mind and he's trying, he's trying to pursue it and, and doing a lot of things to do that, but he was also laid back, right? Well, I'm, yeah, but like I was taking things like he discovered Van Halen and learned how to play it well enough that people were bragging. Um, and it was interesting that he discovered the competition when he got to California mm-hmm. and then just kept him, came back, sounded like he spent 10 years writing and people encouraged him to sing and he kind of, that kind of happened to him, but he learned the theory behind music and continued to use that to improve. Yeah. And I think that's why I asked the question at one point about, you know, what was driving him? Because I think that in some ways he's a little different than you people, our listeners might expect or than other guests we've had without are like, <laughs> I have this thing I'm trying to do and I'm going to go after it. You know, <laughs> not that he, if not, I don't think that it's not that he has, you know, I think he has that mindset for sure, but he's so laid back about, sounds laid back about it. Right. Uh, I'm a native of West Tennessee, just to be clear. And many people from my area would be like, he is so driven, <laughs> 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 which he is. It's just he has that laid back side to it. 
but that's why I love it. He asked us, like, why him? Why have him on the show? But that's why. So that we can expose ourselves and, and everybody else to, to different people and to different ways that this looks. Because uh, I get called laid back all the time, and I feel driven on the inside and have the anxiety to prove it. So I think, <laughs> I think it's just a little bit of where we're from. But, um, yeah, and I loved uh, – that he did some research and was asking us questions. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it was really great. Uh, final question. Do you think I'm on my, well on my way to the Brad Pitt impersonation <laughs> career? Or should I give up on that? I think you might need to find a new joke. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it, that's the most uh, accurate statement, but I've edited most of them out. So. Um, but I thought as a merchandise idea, we could get a, a shirt or a hat or something that says like Brad Pitt, but with a cap. <laughs> when we get ready to sell. Sounds good. <laughs> cool. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again for the time for the analysis and uh, we'll see everybody next time. The Path Distilled is hosted by Kevin Harris and Lauren Tashman, created and produced by Kevin Harris. The content is copyrighted by The Path Distilled, all rights reserved. <laughs>